0: I'm speaking with Cecilia Holland. She's the author of more historical novels than even she can remember. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Cecilia.
1: Yeah, some of them I don't want to
0: remember. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about why Eleanor of Aquitaine attracted your attention.
1: Well, I've always really loved Eleanor. She's the, she just refused to fit into the mold. She's one of the great women of all time and in um, and, and a totally repressed society. She went out there and just lived her life as full as she could, and I just really find her
0: fascinating. One of the things that struck me about uh, your reading was how you uh, give us just the right amount of detail to put us right in that scene. Um, so, talk about uh, crafting that kind of prose. Do you hew that? Does that come out of a giant block? Or did, did what we hear read come out of like three times as much?
1: Well, um, it, yeah, probably. Yeah, I throw away a lot of words. I'm always looking for exactly the right thing that will make something really uh, be, be vivid and alive but I don't I, I think even w- one extra word slows things down and you lose the momentum and there's a rhythm to everything and um, you you want to keep people uh, at going at a pace where they can absorb the detail but not get overwhelmed and where they won't slow down to the point where they say, hey why am I bothered to read this so it's a uh, all a question of timing and uh, it does I, I rewrite and I probably wrote that. In fact, I could tell you I've rewritten that thing probably about 100 times. Oh my God. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, it sounds so perfectly, you know, balanced and beautiful. It really flows nicely. Uh, you know, uh, I'm wondering, uh, have you ever considered writing historical nonfiction?
1: Well, I do write. Uh, I do write some uh, nonfiction. I have a Kindle single right now that about the railroad rise of 1877, which was a lot of fun because it's all straight research. There was a tremendous amount of primary research, raw eyewitness accounts of this very violent event and and that took two weeks and three weeks in the summer of 77. And uh, finding out what happened was hard because uh, everybody's got a different opinion, and everybody's lying to cover their butts. Anyway, it, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. I'm trying to do something now about the vigilante committees in San Francisco in the in the 19th century. I really enjoy that. But fiction uh, is is much harder, and fiction is is agonizing sometimes of uh, the struggle to understand the people and to come to grips with the characters isn't there in nonfiction it is in the fiction but it's and it 's why fiction is endlessly fascinating to me
0: talk about just um, as you when you decide to cast something as fiction as you did with this as opposed to nonfiction talk about uh, creating the characters are they created outside of the narrative or do they happen inside the writing
1: well it's very peculiar because they come out of the narrative itself i I wrote this particular little scene about sometime last winter and it, it just lay there it, it ended where it ends now and it didn't go on but uh, there are a few indications in it which when I went to pick it up again became uh, the rest of the story the mention of, of Nora having a mind for instance blossomed into this whole other character and Richard who is uh, uh, you know there mostly to set up the conflict between partly to set up the conflict between Henry and Eleanor becomes a very important character too. So they're there because I need them to make the c- that particular immediate part of the narrative work. But what happens to them there is uh, is often very surprising to me and uh, beguiling. And then I pursue that and that, that character then becomes uh, the next in the next scene or further on a much bigger character and takes over the book. If I'm lucky, it takes over. If I'm not lucky, it lies there like a, an old f- fried egg from yesterday.
0: <laughs> now, one of the things that I'm wondering is, when you start these out, you must do a, a baseline of research, and does your fiction ever send you back for more research, and feed, do you have that kind of feedback loop?
1: Oh yeah, constantly. It, it, um, the All the stuff about Beckett in this, was there's a lot of stuff about Beckett. I had to go back and look at all that up again. Um, I mean, I'd read about Beckett before, but I'd never gone to the original sources, which are very difficult to find anyway, and I had to uh, poke around. Uh, often, when you're going along and you and you need a piece of business, that's when you have to find out how did they open a, a cask of wine in the 13th century, the 12th century. How is they liable to have worn their hair, you know, things like that. But, uh, so you c- it's constantly, uh, the story constantly wants you to go back and find out more stuff. And, and I love to do research. I love to read I uh, 'd love to read old work. I like Chronicles and Diaries and, and uh, people 's accounts and Walter Mapp, who 's from this, this particular area, is an endless source of scatological humor, among other things, but it 's all the part of the same thing, which is much larger, of which the piece, as it comes out, is only an aspect. The whole process is much bigger and is not all in the piece, doesn't all wind up in the piece. Sometimes it goes on into something else. Sometimes it just
0: dies. You know, actually, I w- I'd have to say, I'd have to differ with you there. I think it really does end up in the piece because that's what gives your your work that sense of life and, and you know, that keeps it from lying there. Um, could you talk about, uh, you know, just crafting your prose and, and playing with the... Uh, you know, the, the language, because I, I guess I would think there must be a real temptation to slip into, you know, ye old English when you're writing that stuff.
1: Well, yeah, you yeah, you always, uh, I mean, in olden days, people did a lot of prithee and yeah. and forsooth and that kind of stuff, but I like the people to sound as if they're people like now, and mm-hmm. to, the, to the people of the time, they didn't sound prithee and forsooth, they sounded like people, normal people, so... Uh, but there's a kind of tension between that. You don't want them to, to sound like, uh, uh, you know, valley girls. <laughs> so uh, it's, but it it's goes back ultimately to the rhythm again. The things, things have a good rhythm uh, they, when they feel economical, when you feel like uh, the thing is moving along well, and uh, when, uh, when you don't have to push, when it just happens that sometimes when things are not going well I feel like I'm you know pushing a rock uphill but when things are going well it just sort of naturally comes along and I can't I have trouble even keeping up with it so
0: you know, uh, too. I'm, I'm thinking here because we're talking about you know how, how you write these great characters and these scenes and, and carve it down. But I mean, as a historical novelist, you've got you're working inside a straitjacket because your plot it has to bear some remote resemblance to reality.
1: Yeah, that's that's what makes it interesting, though. Uh, you have it's you have a it's funny though. In in most situations, you don't really know that much. I mean, we know the bare bones you know maybe uh, you know uh, half a dozen facts some general ideas and things and you want to bring take those facts and fit them into some kind of logical framework and the more of the stuff you can incorporate into it the more chance there is that you're actually on to what may have actually happened so it's a game it's a, it's a really neat game it's a very intellectually very satisfying
0: talk about like uh, recreating kind of these historical figures as characters that you're writing about, because uh, don't you feel some trepidation as to like uh, exposing the inner thoughts of King Henry? <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a that's a leap. Uh, I don't
1: know. It, it's my book. Um, <laughs> uh, I I like to make them uh, meaty. I I don't want them to be you know all good or all. Uh, sweet or anything like that I like them to have insides and I, I'm fascinated by people anyway I love I love people I love not you know I, I love watching people and I love the contradictions that people everybody's got contradictions in them and everybody has an ea- easiness and anxiety and I think getting to that kind of thing is how you make a character seem to live not by making them totally smooth but by having rough edges that don't quite fit and uh, and making them you know a little bit Hard to understand. So then the reader has to understand them. That makes you get the get your reader into the story a lot better than if you hand them the thing on a platter.
0: Do you ever have pieces that start out in one genre as science, as fiction or nonfiction, <coughs> and or historical fiction, and then end up going into fantasy or back into nonfiction?
1: Um. Well, I'll. Uh, I. I. I don't know. If, if this is an answer to that I, t- I tend to be wor- to start things and then put them aside and let them sit for a while and then go back so I always have a bunch of stuff <laughs> around in and now that I have a computer I don't lose it either uh, in, in my files I have stuff that I go back to and can revive if I want to and sometimes changing the approach is the only way to make things work to make things fantasy instead of a uh, straight historical but I really basically really f- love straight historical fiction. Uh, above everything else including the nonfiction although I enjoy that I like narrative I like uh, trying to make sense out of what doesn't ordinarily make sense and narrative is a great way to make sense of things and uh, hi- History gives you just enough um, meat that you know to to get it going and uh, Fantasy for me is is too um, is too loose. It's also too derivative oddly enough, but uh and I've done a little science fiction, and that, I mean, I could never do what Stan does. But uh, uh, mostly, I really like that one genre.
0: Well, you have such a strong narrative voice, I can see why. I mean, it's just, uh, hearing that read was just really amazing. I've written the rest of the story. It's for
1: an anthology by uh, Gardner and uh, uh, it, but it took forever. I mean, I wrote this thing last year. Uh, last winter and I've been fighting with it off and on ever since then and it just took forever but it finally has started to to fit together and I think it might be done now. So I'm hoping it's done now anyway. So I'm glad it worked.
0: Cecilia, tell us what you're working on for your next publication.
1: Well, I'm trying to, I'm, I think I'm going to expand this into a novel um, in which the main character is, is Nora who is uh, Eleanor's least known and most interesting of her daughters of who went on to become the Queen of Castile and uh, with her husband led the uh, Reconquista where they fought back against the Moors. And, um, but I'm uh, sort of open-ended about it. I haven't um, done more than just sort of vaguely think about it, but, uh, which is the way I do things. I don't do outlines. I don't plot ahead. I just sort of go in there and, and uh, hope that I can keep traction. That's what I'm doing now. That and the val- vigilante thing.